Hey, this is Jeremy Reisner, pastor of C2 Church. Thanks so much for joining us on the C2 Church podcast today. I hope it inspires and builds your faith and helps you see that God is up to something in your life. Enjoy the message. Happy April Fool's Day. Months ago when we started preparing for this this day, Easter and Good Friday, and we, we figured out that it was going to land on April Fool's, I thought, this is right up my alley. This, this, this is like perfect for me. I, I, love, I love good jokes and, and good humor. And I think the story of the resurrection fits perfectly for April Fool's. Because truly, Easter is for fools. Bear with me. If you're a believer, maybe today you'll allow yourself to enter in the story into a new way. If you've been a Christian for some time, maybe this, this Easter story, you just kind of go, okay. But maybe bear with us in, in a new way this morning. Because from the outside of this story, outside of Christianity, it seems ridiculous. It seems silly. It seems foolish. That God would send himself in the form of a man, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, to suffer in our place, sinful humanity's place, and then die to pay our sin debt. And then the clincher of it all, to resurrect himself from the dead. Does it sound a little foolish? Maybe if you're not a Christian in this room today, I'm glad you're with us. Maybe that, maybe that rings true to you. Maybe you think, yep, that story's not believable. It is silly and foolish. But maybe you'll enter into the story in a new way as well. Maybe you'll ask yourself the question, what if it's true? What if this foolishness is true? You know, at one point, it was believed that the earth was flat. And then a Christian reading the Bible said, no, I think God created the earth differently. I think it's a globe. And he was ridiculed as a fool. And he would ultimately die for it. And now today we know the earth is not flat. I think most of us think that anyway. Maybe all of us would be willing to enter into this story of the king of fools. You see, 1 Corinthians addresses this, and I thought, wow, if we're going to talk about foolishness and, and playing the fool, the scriptures address it. Paul the apostle, writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In the beginning of his letter, he addresses this foolish thought about the cross and the gospel message and the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Starting in verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, who don't understand or believe. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person, Paul writes? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, Paul concludes, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things, and things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. As we prepared the series for this weekend, I was thinking about the various icons of Easter weekend. So we decided to call it icons of a fool. If you were with us on Good Friday, I asked you to enter into the story as if you were one of the disciples, followers of Jesus that first Good Friday. Those icons on that Good Friday looked totally different. Looking back at those icons, they meant nothing but despair, disappointment, defeat, and death. But how many of you know on Easter they meant something different? But on Easter they meant something different. Come on. But on Easter, right? Help me preach this, church. After the resurrection, those same disciples, looking back at these icons, they meant something totally different. Take, for instance, the first icon, the palm branch. A week before Good Friday, when Jesus would be arrested, tried, and crucified, he entered the city as if he were a king, and truly he was. But he was celebrated as a conquering king. The the palm branches the people carried and laid before him as he rode in on a donkey were symbolic of a victorious ruler. But they celebrated him as a conquering king, believing him to be the savior, the rescuer over the tyranny and oppression of Rome. Hosanna, they shouted, which means praise, save us. They believed he had come to save them, and indeed he would. Blessed is the king of Israel, they cried. There in the city of kings, clearly they saw in him their nationalistic and messianic hopes wrapped up in this Jesus. But what kind of conquering king rides in on a humble donkey? What kind of foolish king comes on an animal of peace, not a horse of war? And after Jesus is arrested, that palm branch would remind the disciples that the one they had hoped would bring rescue from the Romans was now nothing but a prisoner. There was no triumph. There would be no coronation, no victory, only the sting of defeat and soon death. How foolishly they had believed him to be the Messiah who would save them. They must have thought and asked themselves, how could this king save us now? But on Easter, (laughs) but on Easter, but on Easter, that palm branch meant something totally different. The devil thought he had defeated Jesus. But what the devil didn't know was this was the greatest setup of all time. 
Jesus was about to pull the, the greatest practical joke, the greatest April Fool's joke ever. He would do what he'd been planning to do all along. All of the Old Testament had foreshadowed this. All the prophecies led to this moment. He would rescue his people. He would have for himself a people that would be his very own. Christians celebrate this humble king who conquered sin and death in the grave. Jesus was for sure a conquering king, but he was a humble king. And he would save his people from something much worse than the tyrannical rule of Rome. He would save the people from their enslavement to sin. The palm branch would signify Jesus was going to be a very different kind of king. He would not establish his kingdom in the territories of this earth, but he would establish his kingdom in the hearts of people. And I'm so thankful for that, that his kingdom is not of this world, not of this limited dimension. The humble king today may be riding humbly into your situation to bring the peace you've longed for. And perhaps you would raise your arms like palm branches, declaring praise of that conquering king. Because I think praise will precede the miracle you're praying for. If you believe, even though you don't see just yet Jesus as that conquering king, perhaps you will praise him with your mouth and that praise will precede the answer to your prayer. Like a palm branch, you lay down your life in worship to this king as he enters into your life. You see, surrender will lead to that salvation that you want to experience. This conquering king can give you power over that sin, that addiction, that hurt and pain. That conquering king can bring you freedom over that worry and that fear and that anxiety. Is there anyone who can testify to the freedom found in Jesus? Is there anyone in this room who can testify to the forgiveness and the healing? On Easter, we testify of a humble king who brings peace amidst the chaos of our lives. But on that good Friday, Jesus would be mocked as king with the crown of thorns. Suffering both ridicule and torture, as John writes in his gospel, John chapter 19, it reads this way, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail the king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. What kind of king would allow himself to suffer? What kind of king would take this kind of beating and humiliation? He claimed to be the son of God. And now the people who had hailed him as a king a week earlier were now calling for his crucifixion. What fool believes in, a, in this man? The torture and, and suffering thrown upon him would reveal he was nothing more than that, a man, not the son of God as he claimed. A cursed human, not a king. What fools would worship a suffering king? And on Good Friday, those disciples saw pain in the crown of thorns, not promise. 
In that crown of thorns, they saw a man of sorrow, not salvation. (laughs) But on Easter. (laughs) But on Easter. But on Easter, that crown of thorns crowned that humble king. That crown of thorns would mean something different. The crown of thorns that was meant to mock. The torturers punishing him with this symbol but it was fitting for a suffering Messiah. Isaiah 53, the prophet Isaiah wrote of this very moment that Jesus would suffer in our place. Isaiah writes it this way, who has believed this foolish message that we preach? There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, a Acquainted with the bitterest, bitterness, uh, bitterest of grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us Like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own way. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sin of us all. Part of the curse after Adam and Eve's sin, Genesis chapter 3, records that the ground would produce thorns and thistles as part of that curse. And the ancient culture picked up on that Meaning that negative view of thorns and thistles. In fact, Hebrews, in the Bible, the writer of Hebrews writes this, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. The idea that Jesus was crowned with thorns highlighted that his suffering and death were a curse. But Galatians says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I love that God takes the weak things of this world, the things that were meant to be a curse, to confound the wise. And that icon of a curse, this crown of thorns, would become a blessing to all who would believe. Christians celebrate a suffering king. He suffered in our place. He took upon himself, Isaiah said, he took upon himself our suffering, the suffering that our sin caused. And he would know our pain. He would be with us in our pain. He would enter in to the suffering of all humanity. And we would have a king who would be with us in our darkest and most painful moments. And the scriptures would promise that by those wounds, we are healed. How foolish to worship a suffering king who would then be crucified on good friday jesus was crucified as a king on a cross the cross was an icon of death john 19 records it this way so the soldiers took charge of jesus carrying his own cross he went to the place of the skull which in aramaic is called golgotha there they crucified him and with him two others one on each side and jesus in the middle 
Pilate had, no, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This king would die a criminal's death on that cross. Do you find it ironic that a cross meant for thieves would now bear the one who had only given, not taken? He had given food to the hungry. He had given healing to the, those who were sick. He had brought miracles into the lives of those who were broken. Do you find it ironic that the cross that was meant as a punishment for murderers would now punish the one who gave life, who rose, who raised people from the dead? What irony. And even as he hung there, he spoke life, forgiving his executioners and promising paradise to the condemned. What foolishness is this that the innocent would die for the guilty? What foolishness that the one whose words and whispers carried the weight of a thousand wise men now bears the punishment for sins he did not commit. What fools are we to watch with wonder and regret as the nails pierced the hands that had only brought wholeness to the broken, sight to the blind, and life to the dead. On this Good Friday, but on Easter, (laughs) but on Easter... Come on, if you believe, but on Easter, that cross meant something different. This morning, we celebrate a sacrificial king whose life and death brings us new life. He would live that perfect life that we could not live, and he would pay the debt that we owed. But you might ask, what debt did I owe? Well, we all owe a great debt to God. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of what God required. What did God require? Perfection. The way he created it at the beginning, perfect. And we, as Adam and Eve, went our own way. We took our own selfish course away from God. We truly are rebels at heart. And the debt we owed could not be heaped up by our good deeds. We could never reach that perfection. You couldn't attend church enough or suffer through sermons enough All right, come on now. I got your attention. You could not earn your way. You could never hope to pay that debt of your own good deeds. And God, knowing this, sent himself as the God-man, Jesus, to pay his own cost, to pay our cost to himself. He would die in our place, the innocent for the guilty, the sinless for the sinful, the creator for the created, the perfect for the imperfect, and the righteous for the unrighteous. And on that good Friday, the stone rolled in front of the tomb, sealed the fate and faith of his followers. What fools they had been to follow him. How could... The one who claimed to be the son of God, who was the demonstration of God's love, allow this to happen. How could he die? And on Good Friday, his disciples see the tomb as a burial place for their hopes and their dreams and their faith. Not as an icon of merciful love or resurrected life. Jesus had been swallowed by death 
Death had defeated the king. What fools could believe and still have faith when they had seen him die, this king of fools. Jesus' last words on the cross, it is finished. That one thing on Friday, the end. But on Easter, but on Easter, but on Easter, those words, it is finished, really meant it was just the beginning. (laughs) The stone rolled away. The tomb was empty. Someone touched the neighbor and say, he was just getting started. He was just getting started. The devil had committed one of the greatest blunders of all time. He had gone up against Jesus when death was on the line. Some of you get that movie reference. The devil was played the fool. It was the greatest rope-a-dope and fake-out of all time. Listen to how Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that's the good news? Things play out in my head as I read scripture like a movie. Anybody else like that? And I can I can see in my head this this chess game of epic proportion where the devil makes his final move and he says, "Check." Jesus had one more move and he walked out of that grave that day he walked out of that tomb and when he said it is finished he said checkmate checkmate it is finished he would rise again to give you and me new life this empty tomb would now mean that Jesus was verified as king. He was the son of God as he claimed. And we Christians today celebrate a risen king. That's what that empty tomb, that icon signifies to Christians all around the world today. The Bible says that the gospel is absurd and illogical to those who reject it. But what about you? The psalm psalmist writes in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And some translations write it this way. The fool says in his heart, no to God. What about you today? Wouldn't you agree that there's a longing inside of every one of us that longs for things to be set right? when you see injustice on your television screen, when you experience injustice in your life and and everything within you cries out for it to be set right, who do you think will set it right again? Who put that longing in your heart for justice? The king. 
who will set everything right one day. That longing in your heart for wholeness. If we just evolved, why would that feeling be there? Why would you long for wholeness? But I think in every one of us, there's a longing for something deeper, something more. And could I present to you today that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is that risen king who came to set everything right and give you life beyond your wildest imagination. We were all born fools. The Bible refers to it as the sinful condition of all humanity. Born to a condition of rebellion to go our own way and reject God and his ways. Oh, we might say platitudes, those of us who've been around church long enough to say, oh, I believe. But can I submit to you this morning that the resurrection is not simply to be accepted or acknowledged, but the resurrection is to be experienced and it's someone to be enjoyed. For Jesus said of himself, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who dies will find life if they believe in me. We were all born fools, born into foolishness. I love what Dave Matthias writes on the Desiring God blog. He says, only in Jesus can those born into folly, increasingly manifesting foolishness on a crash course for destruction, be set free to true wisdom and ultimate life. For the scriptures say we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Pastor Ben said it during communion this morning. It's only the gospel that takes our foolishness that is full of malice and envy and strife towards one another and take people who want to, in, in some realms of this world, want nothing to do with each other and put us in one room where we celebrate together the risen one. Some of us have no business being in the same room together. Our world wants to divide us by class and category and race and all these different things and yet the gospel brings us together in one room today to celebrate. The scriptures are true. The cross is foolishness. And if it be but foolishness, then call me a fool. For in this king of fools, I have found life. I found forgiveness. And I found freedom. Freedom. That's what this king of fools brings to all who would believe. As I was reading several weeks ago, I came across a quote story I thought it fitting to close our time together with today it's by John J Alvaro there is nothing about the image of Christ as king that settles my stomach or makes sense of my expectations nothing about his coronation service feels like closure or victory if Jesus is a king then his followers are fools 
for he has no army, no political alliances, no worldly power, no throne, no heir, no bloodline is marred. His bloodline is marred with controversy. It is all wrong. There is no way to make sense of Jesus's kingship. It is all wrong and cannot be made right. The cross is disgusting, vulgar, offensive. It makes my stomach turn and my heart sink. It is discordant and coarse. Too many jagged edges and unresolved tensions. And I have become quite skilled at building systems around my religious predispositions. But they keep falling apart in light of the cross and its implications. The only way I have found to stay sane in the midst of Christianity's Christianity's central image is to live into its foolishness. And thereby my own. I have sat through too many conversations and read too many books trying to make the gospel story respectable. It is always tempting to think that Jesus is just a buffed up and polished version of my aspirations. But I fear that the reign of Jesus is always meant to interrupt and disturb our categories. All of them. Following King Jesus is not and will never be made credible. It will make you off kilter. It will make you strange. It will make you a fool. In the mid-1900s, there was a missionary named Jim Elliott. You may not know his story, but it's worth telling today. Jim Elliott, attending college, aspiring for a career, felt the call of God upon his life to become a missionary. And so he quit college. He went to Bible college instead to begin training as a missionary. And in his heart, he wanted to reach people who had never heard the gospel of Jesus. And he heard about the tribes in the Amazon jungle of South America who had never heard of King Jesus. So he and four friends trained as pilots so they could fly in on airplanes with big rubber tires to land in the small river basins of the Amazon jungle so they could deliver the message of the gospel. First by dropping leaflets and gifts to the tribes that they were trying to reach. Then to make contact with them with more gifts and begin to try to somehow understand and share the gospel of Jesus. But on one fateful and tragic day, the tribe that they had befriended mistook their gestures as gestures of war. And in their mistrust of these missionaries, these foreign people, they murdered four of these five men's men in that river that day. One of my favorite quotes of all time outside the scriptures is this quote from Jim Elliott recorded in his journal. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up the life he cannot keep to gain the life he cannot lose. 
Jim Elliot understood the foolishness of the gospel. That it was worth giving his life for. His wife Elizabeth and some of the other wives of these martyrs would weeks later board airplanes not to fly home but to fly back into that jungle. And there they would spend the rest of their lives living with the tribes that had murdered their husbands. And today thousands and thousands of Christian believers reside in those tribes in the jungles of South America because they met King Jesus. Can I invite you this morning to embrace the foolishness of the gospel? Maybe you're hearing it for the first time. Perhaps you're just understanding it for the first time. Maybe you've even called yourself a Christian for some time. But this morning you realize the foolishness is to chase after the things that in this world will end up fading away. Can I invite you to embrace Jesus with a new love this morning? Would you stand with me as we close our time together? I don't know who brought you this morning. What made you come? Maybe it's your annual pilgrimage. And I'm thankful you're here. The king I serve loves us just as we are, but he doesn't want to keep us that way. He loves us too much to leave us alone. And this morning, some of you need to respond to King Jesus and invite him to be the king of your life. Many of us who believe have made the same decision in a moment like this. In just a second, I'm going to give an invitation for you to raise your hand. You may feel the fool, but trust me, you're amongst a company of fools who've made this very same decision to pray a prayer to begin a relationship with the living King Jesus. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to give you that invitation. Would you just raise it up high? And then we're going to pray together. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads, church, in this holy moment? If that's you, you know it's Jesus calling you today. Your heart's beating faster. You feel it in your bones. This is the answer you've been looking for. If that's you, would you raise your hand? One, two, three, all over this room. All over this room. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see your hand right here in the middle. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Then church, let's pray with all those who raised their hands this morning. Would you pray? If you've prayed this prayer before and you're a believer, pray it again for the first time. Embrace it. Pray with me out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son Jesus to live the perfect life that I could not live. He suffered in my place and he died to pay my sin debt. But thank you that he rose again to give me new life and forgiveness. 
Come into my life today. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I want to ask you to do three things. First, subscribe and share a podcast with others. Second, if God is up to something in your life, we'd love to hear from you at mystory@c2church.com. And finally, if you've benefited from this ministry, help us reach others by investing today at c2church.com/give.